Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio told like it is. Hello, hello, hello. The intro was <laughs> echoing, Richard. I'm Frank Ravello. This is Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing this uh, lovely evening? Uh, doing good, doing good. Um, get to talk about, uh, you know, a recap of, we got to recap 13 games. Can you believe this? Yeah, every day was a game. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, we had five days of Calcio. Everybody, uh, you know, enjoyed it. Uh, if you're coming in on the chat, uh, drop your questions there. Uh, be happy to answer them. Be happy to talk about anything that went on with the games with you. Uh, you know, so feel free to uh, to drop anything there. Um, if uh, and, and then I'll have some questions as we go, uh, as we recap these games. I've got a couple in mind, so uh, you know. We'll uh, we'll take care of that. But uh, before we get into all of it, first of all, hats off to Napoli, uh, winners of the Coppa Italia, doing it on penalties, uh, four to two. Uh, Arkadiusz Milik's penalty sealing the deal. Um, just just happy for them, happy for their fan base, happy for Reno Gattuso. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. with everything going him he him going through the passing of his sister. Uh, so. Uh, very excited, very excited for Napoli, a, a, a well-deserved trophy. They had been really trending upwards prior to the break under Reno. And now, uh, they have a trophy to show for it. Yeah. They, uh, they continue on in their fine form. They, uh, they look very good, uh, in both games really, uh, they did what they had to do to win. Uh, they maybe eked it out against Inter, you know, giving up away a little bit too much possession, but in that Juventus yeah. matchup, they, they did what they had to do. And, uh, there was no Spina, there was merit, but, uh, he came up big. Yeah, I I mean that was that was good. I mean the goalkeeping and the defending for Napoli all of a sudden we'll get into that as it relates to their game that they had today has gotten so much better. Um and uh you know, got to give credit to Buffon for keeping Juve in it cuz Napoli had some very good chances to win this in 90 minutes. Yeah. So yeah. the old man turned up and and did really well. So I should point out um I I've been on this uh local beer thing here while we're doing the recording. So uh today it is Louis Demise from MKE Brewing Company. Um again, I'm trying to uh keep my uh beer drinking local. Uh, okay. trying to support the local breweries during this time. Uh this one's one of my favorites. You're back. Oh. You're 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 on the black coffee again, huh? On the coffee. Okay. Got to one of these times just drop a little bit of uh, Jameson or or something in there. Just uh, yeah, Bailey's or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just to give you just to give you a little coffee. kick. There you yeah. go. A little Irish yeah. coffee. That's right. Nothing nothing wrong with that. So I'm gonna be due for that because I'm I'm down like 13 points now since like the whole quarantine break. So if well, I need more calories in here, <laughs> there you go. I I've gained a couple back. I'm kind of holding steady uh, right. at the weight that I'm at right now. I'd like to drop a little bit more, but I would have to give up this, and, and I enjoy this too much. Good evening, Sabrina. Good to see Ciao, you again. Sabrina. So uh, check in with us. Uh, if you're uh, watching us, please drop a chat so we know who you are. Uh, like and subscribe. Say nice things about us. We always like that. So, Richard, let's get into these games. I don't think there's anything else we can do but uh, try to get into these uh get into these games right yeah okay so we had five days of calcio and i'm going to uh batch the saturday and sunday games that took place it all kicked off with torino hosting parma uh that ended 1-1 uh for torino it was nicholas and colu 
Uh, nice little headed goal on a set piece from Alex Berenguer. Uh, and then uh, Juraj Kuchka, he just likes to show up and score goals here when we least expect it. He, he just like a fine wine, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 I don't know about that. <laughs> a fine Croatian wine. Do bulls, do bulls in China shops age like fine wine? That's the that's yeah. the question. And is he Croatian? I thought he was. I, I thought he was Slovenian. Yes, you're right. you're right. You are right, and I apologize. I apologize. Yeah. You're right. I mean, my, buddy, my own good buddies are Slovenian. You would kill me if I if you heard this. <laughs> well, tell, well, 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 tell me where I can find him so I can send him the link. <laughs> no chance. No, no chance. Okay. <laughs> Uh, of note, uh, Sepe uh, picking up right where he left off with his fine goalkeeping this season. Yeah. Seven saves, including one on an Andrea Belotti penalty. Uh, so 1-1 one, one honors even there. Hellas Verona at home against Cagliari. Um, this game had goals. This game had men behaving badly. The goals uh, for Verona, uh, Di Carmine getting both of them in the 14th and 26th minute. The 26th minute goal, a goal of the week candidate. Uh, Giovanni Simeone getting the, getting Cagliari within 2-1 just a couple minutes before halftime. This was after Fabio Barini uh, was given a straight red for his challenge that um, was it was VAR reviewed and then deemed to be a red. Were you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, I was okay with that. There was a lot was of calls. Yeah, I mean, there's some some calls are harsher than others, I saw, but I was okay with it. Um, yeah, yep. uh, and uh, Luca Cigarini getting. A second yellow for Cagliari later on in that game to get red. So this game ended in a 10 v 10 uh, between these two sides. Uh, and then on Sunday, uh, Atalanta and Sassuolo. We said there would be goals in this game if you watched and listened to us last week. And it was again Atalanta doing Atalanta things. Yeah. Oh, they were nasty. 4 1 against Sassuolo. Jim uh, City opened the scoring in the 16th minute. Uh, they thought they had the 2-0 lead through Papu Gomez. Unfortunately, he was offside. They got that correct on the review. Duvan Zapata would make it 2-0 in the 31st minute. Barabia for Sassuolo, putting one in his own net. Note to Barabia, Atalanta doesn't need your help. Um, <laughs> 3-0 there, and that's what the score was at halftime. Zapata would head in a goal on a set piece in the 66th minute to make it 4-0. But Burabia, uh sparing his blushes with a really nice free kick goal in the 92nd minute. Um, to give Sassuolo a goal out of this game. So 4-1, that ended. And then uh, the weekend wrapped up with Inter beating Sampdoria by two goals to one. Romelu Lukaku, a goal of the week candidate. Beautiful combination between him and Christian Eriksen yeah. uh, to put the Nerazzurri up by a goal to nil. It would be Lautaro Martinez doubling for Inter. Um in the 33rd minute, that made it 2-0. Morton Thorsby in the 52nd uh, for Sampdoria to make it a little bit interesting. But yeah. Inter on 72% possession in this game, clear what Sampdoria was trying to do and didn't quite carry it out. I think the real story from these four games to start with, Richard, and, and we'll obviously dive into them a little bit later as well, but good old Atalanta. Yeah, good old Atalanta. Yeah, man, they uh, they put on a, cl a goal clinic again. I mean, every time they play, they put on a goal clinic. They picked up where they left off. Uh, they they are probably by far the best-looking team coming out of the break. Um, you know, another team we're going to talk about here in a minute uh, can say something about that. But this is – Atalanta is, like, by far the best. I mean, they're – it's just goal after goal. They got the goal from Papa Gomez taken away. They come back, you know, not too long after that score again. Um, scored three, two more after that. I mean – Zapata's looking good. Papu Gomez, 
Uh, Ilicic's been a little injured lately, and that doesn't matter. I mean, they got Gosens, they got Hattabor, they got Milanovski, they got so on and so forth, and now they got Champions League money. So for once, maybe they're not going to be sellers and they can keep all these guys and build. Man, this yeah. is a scary team. Scary. Obviously, Zapata terrific in this game with two goals. Yeah. Uh, Papu Gomez pulling the strings for them. Uh, outstanding. Uh, but a little love to the back three. I thought they were good in really neutralizing. I mean, Sassuolo didn't get much in open play. And their attack is no slouch. We'll talk yeah. about them a little bit later as well. Yeah. You know, they they had the full complement of uh, Jeremy Boga, Francesco Caputo, and Domenico Berardi. They also had Gregoire Defrel in the mix. Yeah. Um, so they were pretty aggressive. Uh, with their intentions in this game. And Atalanta still brushed them aside. And it was a solid performance from their back three, uh, a solid performance as well uh, from Pierluigi Golini, who had four saves in this game. Uh, so Atalanta getting off to the right start. Um, you know, the other things that I kind of take from these four games, Richard, obviously Inter getting the win. I mean, they're going to just, they're going to find ways to get three points. You know, it's a Sampdoria team that you're seeing play better under Claudio Ranieri, um, but, but Inter's just better, uh, yeah. and that's really what unfolded in that game. Absolutely. Um, Hellas Verona, it's welcome to playing Hellas Verona, and, and it's Cagliari away, and we talked about this before um, last, uh, you know, we, when we talked, when we previewed these games, we said Cagliari away is certainly something you bet against and and yeah. uh we thought Hellas Verona would win this game they did uh they they do it in their way they're not the most pleasing team to watch but they get resourceful <laughs> they find a way to score goals they've got talent i mean they've got a lot of talent and and a lot of these guys could potentially get plucked away when you're talking about Kambula in the back you're talking about Sofian Amrabat who is terrific in this game again yeah. uh in midfield you had Decarmine scoring twice uh, it took on five guys to set up Decarmine so i mean Indeed. Uh, wow. I mean, just the team's got, they got talent. They do. They do. It, you know, you wouldn't think that coming from a new promoter team, but uh, they, they were put together very well. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I just, I'm just quick peeking at this lineup again. Yeah. And you have, uh, you know, Faraoni bombing down the right. You had Lazarovic yeah. bombing down the left. It's an interesting system. They still try to play to keep you out, but when they go forward, they, they're dangerous enough. And they, yeah. they proved that here against Coyote um, and uh, got the job done. And then, um, you know, Torino getting a 1-1 draw with Parma. Um, you know, two sides that, you know, in the in the case of Parma, they're still fighting for a Europa League place. A Torino team that really took a slide uh, under Walter Mazzotti. Um, definitely, I think that this is, you know, Torino earning this point was very important for them. Uh, you know, Parma, this is one they had to look at when you got to look at Torino's form. And I know we have no sample of form after a three-month break. Yeah. Um, but I would have liked to have seen if Parma's really going to be a serious threat for Europa League football, they needed to come out of the blocks and get three out of this one, and they didn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, we both thought that you know Parma could get a, a result out of this matchup, um, but yeah, Torino played very well. This is this is one of the better defensive performances Torino's had probably all season. Honestly, they, they haven't played well at all. But in this game, they did well. They did what they had to get to, to get the point. Um, uh, really Parma really blew an opportunity here if they really wanted to, like you said, get, get to those European spots. They really had to get the three points here, and they didn't. Um, and I think that's it's probably right where they should be because they're just outside. They need a little bit more, I think, and it, this game showed it. Mm -hmm. So off the, you know, off the bat, nothing terribly alarming uh, that happened here in these Saturday-Sunday games, nothing that made you, made you really raise your eyebrows. Um, 
Atalanta dominating, inter-winning inter and getting three points against an inferior opponent. Hellas Verona winning at home against Cagliari, who's not so good away. And we'll talk about their other game here momentarily where they did win away. Um, you know, Torino and Parma is probably about appropriate uh, as what you were going to see for a result. So, yeah. Um, nope. Any uh, four good games here. Um, and let's move on. Uh, we're, we're, we're whipping right through this. Monday, Tuesday, we had seven games. So we're probably going to talk about these a little bit more. Yeah. Well, let me get into it. And I got some, I need some music in the background here. So just to give me the mood, right? Uh, first starting off, we had uh, Fiorentina and Brescia. Uh, goal scoring started early with a penalty for Donnarumma. one nothing for Brescia. But 10 minutes later, Petzala uh, would get a, a header to equalize a 1-1. Those goals were the last of it. Uh, a lot of interesting action throughout the game, but uh, the game ended 1-1. Uh, moving on to Lecce and Milan, we thought this game would be a difficult one. Uh, and it started out difficult. Castillejo got a nice goal uh, off a powerful assist through Chalanolu. Uh, but uh, in the 54th minute, Lecce would get a penalty. Uh, Mancosu, would, uh, he's brilliant at these things, and he, he scored in this one against Donnarumma, left him, left him just flat-footed. Uh, 1-1 at that point, and you thought maybe this is going to be the game that we thought it was going to be. But two minutes later, Bonaventura gets a goal off a Chalanolu uh, shot that the you know, goalkeeper could not handle whatsoever. Gabriel had a good game but could not handle this shot. Bonaventura gets the rebound, 2-1, and then Milan really took on fire. Rebic with a, a breakaway from midfield, uh, made it 3-1 at that point, and then Rafael Leao off an assist from Conti uh, made it 4-1. This is uh, Milan's best performance maybe of the season uh, to this point. So they went 4-1 on the road. Moving on, uh, Juventus uh, on the road at Bologna. We thought this is going to be a difficult game. Scoreline-wise, it was close. Uh, scoring started in the 24th minute. Ronaldo with a penalty. He scored this time. He didn't miss. Uh, and then in the 36th minute, Paolo Dybala with one of the goals of the week candidates there off a left-footed shot. Brilliant shot. Uh, Juve did enough. They were pretty pretty dangerous in this game. They looked uh, classic Juve. Uh, did what they had to do. And they went 2 nothing. Uh, moving on, Hellas Verona. You know, we just talked about how well they played uh, in the previous uh, over the weekend. They played Napoli, a, another team who has been playing well. Uh, we want, wonder if this is going to be a close game. I thought for sure maybe one one was written all over this. Uh, scoring started early in the 38th. Uh, Arkadiusz Milik gets the goal, gives them a lead going into halftime, and then uh, Irving Lozano, the man who's been in trouble with Gattuso, uh, he would score in the 60th minute uh, with a header of all things. Uh, two nothing Napoli with an impressive victory against a good uh, Hellas Verona team. They strengthened their uh, not only their Europa League push, but possibly Champions League. Atalanta will probably have something to say with that. Um, going on, uh, two bottom feeders really, Spal and Cagliari. Uh, this game had one goal in it, and it was it came very very late. Uh, Simeone gets a goal in the 94th 93rd minute. Uh, Cagliari gets the points on the road. Difficult place. We didn't think Cagliari would be able to get points on the road. They did. Uh, good for them because uh, they're usually a, a shithouse of a team on the road. Mm -hmm. But, hey, they did it. They got it done. Now, the music, the reason for the music is uh, Parma on the road at Genoa. They did not perform well on the weekend. But Parma, they came to play in this one. Boy, did they. Uh, scoring started in the 18th minute by, of course, listen to the music, Don Cornelius. He gets a goal. one nothing. Parma. Uh, just 30 minutes later, Don Cornelius does it again, 2-0, uh, just at halftime. Uh, Cornelius on fire. Many wondered if he would get the tripleta in this game. He certainly would in the 54th minute. Cornelius again completes his hat trick, completes his tripleta, 3-0 at that point. Um, 
Iago Falque would get a penalty. I should mention, Crescito had a penalty attempt early in the game. Sepe, yep. another wonderful save. Uh, this guy's got two saves in a row now. Went Belotti on the weekend and now with uh, Crescito. But Iago Falque would come up on the second penalty. Both, I thought, were legit. And uh, he scored the goal, made it 3-1. Made it a little interesting, but, man, that new uh, Juventus man, Kulashevsky, in the 67th minute or 87th minute, excuse me, a wonderful left-footed shot. He was man of the match. Well, Cornelius is man of the match, but Kulishevsky did not stop running all game long. I mean, I, I, I think it was Nemo or somebody said that this guy just has that like energizer bunny. He just keeps running nonstop, doesn't get tired. And then rounding out my batch of games, uh, Torino and Udinese. We thought this would be tight. It was. Uh, Belotti had a wonderful, powerful shot, short side. Nothing Musso could do about that. Uh, that would be the only goal of that game. That game ended one nothing. Torino gets another win on the road. Uh, so that's my batch of games, Frank. Um, I mean, about all these games, obviously you want to talk about Napoli, but let's start off with the, the soul train here, Mr. Don Cornelius. Uh, three goals. Man continues to be on fire. And he had, and he assisted Kulishevsky's goal too. He did. He did. Um, yeah. So uh, terrific performance from him. This was much better from Parma uh, taking advantage. I mean, this is a Genoa team that's just. I mean, they're seventeenth uh, on goal difference, but they have the same points as Lecce. Um, yeah. I mean, they're just they're just struggling mightily. And uh, when you look at the team that they send out there, I mean, who's? I mean, you're running out seventy five year old Goran Pandev to play up front. Kashito <laughs> um, can give you something. You know, Favili's a good strike. Going to be a, got the potential to be a good striker. Um, you know, he was. He's, I don't know if Juventus still owns him. I think they ended up selling him to Genoa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, I mean, look at this back three of Christian Romero, uh, Adama uh, Swam, uh, Sum, Sumaro. Yeah. Gesundheit. Yeah, Andre, and Andrea Masiello. <laughs> and these aren't guys that these aren't guys that scare you. These no. aren't guys that can hold it together. And, you know, you've got uh, – you know, you've got a, a solid midfielder there in Stefano Stirato. You've got Lasse Schöne. Um, you know, so you got some pieces, but I mean, you they're 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 slightly above average pieces, and then the rest of it's crap. Yeah. Um, you know, so unfortunately that's just where it's at right now for Genoa. And and if they can survive this thing, they better do some retooling before next season kicks off. Now uh, this Parma team was magnificent, as you said. That's correct. Um, they had seven shots on target, so this could have been worse. Um, and uh, you know they did better with their chances. They I mean they're a, it's a it's a it's a good team. It's a dynamic team, and you've got veteran players like Gervinho. Uh, Darmian didn't play in this game, but Yasmin Kurtic has been around the block. Bruno Alves, obviously. You know, you got Sepe in goal, who's having an outstanding season. If it weren't for guys like, if you didn't have guys like Handanovic, um, yeah. if you didn't have guys like, uh, you know, Strakoja, um, Gianluigi Donnarumma, we'd be talking about Luigi Sepe a heck of a lot more. So, because yeah. um, he has come through, he has had games. How many games have have has he had this season where he has made at least five saves, with a couple of them being very, very key. Yeah. So, you know. His performances have been outstanding. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, Cornelius is, you know, really scratching the surface with what Parma did in this game. He, he certainly is. And, uh, you know, he's he's not your typical, when you see a big guy like him, he's what, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you think he just got, he's just, you know, going to hold the ball up and that's it. But he's, he, he's athletic. Uh, he can he can make the runs. 
Uh, he's got the obviously touch and the skill to, and, and Matteo Bonetti, you know, brought this up during the telecast. Um, he can do a lot of things. He had a sensational volley attempt uh, before he scored the first goal, and he, I mean, it was a lucky, it was a good save by the keeper. Uh, but yeah, he can do a lot, and it's not—he's not a one-trick pony by any stretch. And in this game, um, those are just like you said, just scratching the surface. This guy can do so much, and if he can, you know, he—he was—he uh, was extra, I guess, a surplus to requirements at Atalanta. They obviously have a boatload of talent, but um, yeah, in hooking up with Kulashevsky and Gervinho, uh, this is a nice, nice front three here. Uh, two guys that nobody can keep up with on the wings, and then Kula, and then um, Don Cornelius in the middle, just you know, cleaning up house. So. Good team. This Parma team is really uh, fun to watch. Uh, we, you know, I thought maybe there would be like a, a dentist chair very similar to Verona, but you know, with this front three, uh, they're anything but. Yeah, and they all bring different dynamics. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, this is a very functional front three that Parma have. You have Gervinho, veteran player that has very good pace, can pick out a pass, uh, can score goals. I mean, he's he's he does a lot of things well still this deep into his career. Um, you have Kulishevsky, who is tireless, um, is creative, uh, you know, can create some space for himself with the ball, can take people on, um, you know, can find the pass. That's an area of his game that seems to be getting better. And then you've got Cornelius, who's the target, who can hold it, who can get these guys played in a little bit, and then he can finish it on the on the other end. Yeah. Um, you know, very dynamic with how they approach things. And, you know, it's a solid three-man midfield behind him. Brugman's a good player. You know, we didn't know a lot about him um, at the beginning of the season, but he's come in for a few games here, and he's done pretty well. Hernani's got experience. Um, so it's a Parma team that can, you know, disappointing against Torino, but getting it back here against Genoa. And uh, if we take a look at, you know, they're a contender right now for Europa League. They're even on points with Milan. Big one on Sunday for them hosting Inter. Yeah. Uh, and then at Verona, and then hosting Parma at Roma, hosting Bologna. I mean, it's a run-in that's ugh, you don't want it um, when you look at it. There's not a whole lot of relief for them. No, but on their day, they're capable of uh, they're capable of putting together some results. So it would not surprise me if they found themselves in a Europa League if they worked their way up to a Europa League place. Yeah. I think the reason why I mean, if the reason why they're going to be frozen out, I mean, two reasons. I, you know, I looked at the fixtures for them, and the run-in looks difficult, um, you know, for starters. Secondly, you know, on the strength of how Napoli are playing um, and and what we probably are going to expect from Roma, I think it's just going to be too hard for them. Yeah, I do too. Um, and the way the teams that are in front of them are playing well enough, if not really well, uh, that that's going to be hard for them. But you never know. I mean, there's plenty of games left. Um, what is it, like a third of the season left, a quarter of the season left, so – Anything can really happen, but you know, chances are, you know, the teams that are in front of them, they're just they're doing well enough, and they're you know they now got a game or two under their belt uh, after the break, and now they can get back trying to get back into the flow of things. So it's going to be hard. They're going to have to get some results and hope for hope for some people to make mistakes. Uh, so you know, they didn't do themselves any favors by uh, drawing Torino over the weekend. No, they didn't. They didn't. That was uh, that was two points that they probably because they'd be sitting in seventh on forty one points. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Robin Olsen saved one off his face. Intentionally? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't think intentionally. Um, I Weird game, that Spall-Caliota yeah. game. I don't know yeah. how Spall comes out of there not winning that. Yeah. Because um, they generated some chances. Patania had a great chance that he put over the bar. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I watched a fair amount of this game. It was pretty chippy and the possession was even. Okay. Um, you know, Calgary edged them on shots and shots on target, but I thought, uh, Spall had some quality chances and I thought their chance, their chances were better than Calgary's. So it seems like in football, when you don't, when you have plenty of opportunities and you do not finish them off, the other team's going to do it. And, you know, Simeone at the end nipped it for Calgary and, that's unfortunately how it, how the season's gone for Spall, and that's the reason why they are uh, where they are in the standings because of games like this that they let slip away where they should, probably should have got a, you know a three points out of. Are there two managers that like have? I mean, when you talk about managers who have underachieved in their career, and th- this game was like the derby of managers who have underachieved <laughs> in their career. Spall with uh, Luigi Di Biagio. Yeah. Spall might have confirmed their relegation by hiring him. Yeah, you um, mentioned that when they hired him. Cagliari with Walter Zenga. And Zenga, I might be being a little bit harsh on because I think he's taken on some pretty difficult jobs. But when you look at it, is he really that much better than Rolando uh, Moran? You know, I think Cagliari were just struggling under Moran. They had to do something. Um, but you come back with Walter Zenga with the players that you have at your disposal. It's it's a weird fit for me. Um, they find a way to snatch the three points here at the end. Uh, it was just one of those games. They, they, it was a smash and grab for Caliotti, but it was one that Spall should have gotten something out of. I agree. I agree for sure. All this time, and we don't talk about Milan winning 4-1 in this batch. I would thought we would have led with that, being yeah. Milan supporters. I blame Cornelius for that, but now Milan yeah. – by far the best game I thought maybe all season. Uh, they struggled to score, you know. And Lech is not a bad team at all. I mean, they're points wise, yes, but at home they're good. Uh, they can be they can be uh, a pain to play against, uh, and they have against Milan this season already. But yeah. this game, Milan really, you know, after that after went one one, they like woke up. It's the first time I've seen them react, and they reacted instantly and continue with that, not just gave up on that goal and and you know rest in their laurels. Uh, they did really well. Pioli did well. The whole team, Brebic, uh, uh, play got that nice goal from from midway. Um, good performance. I mean, it was easy because I think all ten of Lecce's outfield players were in Milan's penalty area. They were, which is crazy. I mean, never holy... seen that at the end of the game, and it's, it was a yeah, game. yeah. There's like 33 minutes left, and Liverani's got these guys pressing past the half, past midfield. It, you know. Maybe he saw the urgency that if they didn't score another one, it was going to run and away. You won- and you wonder why you're in 18th. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so it's – let me just jump on. I've got my game page on that here. Hold on. You know, because I'm trying to look at it. I mean, Mancosu scored the penalty. Falco was pretty pretty influential in this game. Yeah. Uh, I thought Petruccioni was okay. Yeah. The back four wasn't the, the the back four was a total struggle. I mean, Gabriel had to bail them out. Uh, Milan had eleven shots on target in this game. Um, you know, so they could have scored. They could have easily scored more than four. Probably should have scored more than four. You know, you and I don't want to. What'd you make of Andrea Conti's performance? Um, well, he got the assist in the end for Leao. Yeah, I thought he was better. Yeah, I did too. Okay, I, I, I mean, I'm not ready coming. to. An, I'm not ready to anoint him as this dominant right fullback. Yet. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he's a shell of his Atalanta self, but um, 
Yeah, no, he, he this is a, a better, much better game by him. Uh, he's not a Tio Hernandez or anything, but sure, uh, he did well. He was uh, lively in the uh, in the attacking third. Didn't make too many mistakes defensively, and uh, obviously had the assist to Leao. You know, so um, it was a better game for him for sure. I thought this was an excellent team performance from Milan yes. altogether. Yeah. I thought there, there's 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 really no one in the starting eleven that you can look at and say, yeah, you were poor. Yeah. Um, you know, Donnarumma was good. Uh, you know, Teo was live. I think Teo had a better first half than he did a second half. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I thought Chalhanolu played well. Yeah. Um, this might have been one of his better games this season. Uh, the midfield duo of Benacer and Cassie continues to improve. Yes, yes. Um, sitting in front of that back four. And uh, the only shame to all of this was they lose Kiara again. And I think that's long-term. Okay, so Gabia got thrown into it. He's the one that committed the foul on the penalty. Yeah. Uh, but when you've got Musaku out for the season, you've got Kiara now out long-term. It's going to be a trial by fire for this kid. To be Romagnoli's partner and to be a rock back there—that's. Is well, On the one end, I'm happy to see Milan win and score four goals. On the other end, I'm looking at that that partnership between Chiara and Romagnoli that was forming, and it was an yeah. excellent one. And now, questions are going to be asked: and can this kid pull his weight here the rest of the way? If Milan are hoping for a Europa League place, as I think. Uh, Champions League is just definitely way out of reach. I mean, you look at they're 15 points yeah. behind. There's no way they're getting top four. No. But if they want to snatch one of these Europa League places, they're going to have to depend on him to to raise his game. And I think they needed that three points, you know, to be to, make, to try to stick a claim in the European uh, fight. Uh, so it's a nice three points by Milan because this is a very well could have been a one-one game. Hosting Roma on Sunday. That's doesn't. Then at Spal, at Lazio, hosting Juve. That's their next uh, four games. And then at Napoli, that's their next five. Ouch. Ooh. Ah, those last three games, my goodness. Yeah. So um, it's not out of the question. I mean, while I'm excited about this performance, I'm excited about the 4-1 win. Not out of the question that this Milan team could drop out of seventh. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And maybe end up finishing eighth or ninth. Yeah, we might have to, as Milan there. supporters, we're going to have to brace ourselves for that unless they can – Turn up some performances here. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Juve, um, better? Yeah. Not yeah. all the way there yet. Bologna had 20 shots in this game. One on target. One on target. One on target. That's, yeah. 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 So Bologna still playing the same way. They just haven't uh, worked on their finishing, clearly. And they don't have any excuses. They had Sansoni, Soriano, and Orsolini. They had Musa Barrow up front. They played a strong team. They played a strong team. Yeah. Against you. They got Gary Medell back. And Medell was gone on a long-term injury. You know, so they got him marshalling in front of the back four. And I thought he, you know, he was solid. But you have Ronaldo, you have Ronaldo and be, being Penaldo and getting his penalty. He's got 22 goals now on the season in Serie A. Eight of them are penalties. And you know, just for everybody that thinks he scores too many penalties, Immobile has 10 of his 27 goals from the spot. There so you go. Um, when you break that down by percentages, it's pretty much the same clip. Um, I think as soon as the ball scored that second goal, it was just locked up shot. You knew you yeah. were going to be Juve and not let, let them back in the game. So Yeah, they weren't. They don't They don't look for third and fourth and fifth goals. They're not they like – and we talked about this last week. They yeah. 
And it's like, all right, we'll we'll defend. We've got the players to do it. You know, Delict is getting stronger as a defender. Um, speaking of which, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, stick around for afterward because Richard will have an interview with James Rowe, who was the only man in the world to predict that Matias Delict was going to join Juventus. That's right. So we have it on um, record. Yep, we do. We have it on record. So, and uh, I dare say it, but this was a good. Good appearance for Bernadeschi and a needed one for him. I, th- I mean, the assist for Dybala shows some confidence. Yes, yeah. Um, that because he he's a guy that worried you in the Juve colors, uh, and he was a guy that I think we were long clamoring. I said, well, when Douglas Costa's fit, he's Simple. the man. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's the man in that front three, and you got to get him in there. Uh, but Bernadeschi laid a little claim to it uh, with the way he played. Um, Technically very strong, got a nice assist, uh, had a shot hit the woodwork, had a great chance there, created other chances that could have been finished. Um, so, uh, you know, and did a little bit in the defending and in the pressing and doing a little bit of ball winning too. So I thought this was one of Bernadeschi's best performances in a Juve shirt. Yeah, and he didn't even score in the game, so that, that, that's saying a lot. Yep. Um, I, thought he, I thought he did contribute well offensively. Uh he was he was active all game long. Like you said, he hit the post. It had obviously had the assist of the bala. Uh, it was a good game by him. It's a good game by him. Usually, you know, just at times he can he can disappear from games, and you didn't really see see that in this one. Uh, I thought he did he did uh, well for himself, and uh, hopefully, you know, Sari's going to instill more confidence in him. I mean, obviously, he has some confidence because he's playing you know fairly regularly. But uh, you know, performances like this, if he can build off of them. Uh, he can really end the season very strong and you know, make a good case, you know, going into Euros next year, possibly. Sure. Fiorentina, 21 shots, five on target. Nothing to show for it. <laughs> Nothing to show for it. They had, uh, Ribery had a goal disallowed for offside. He was the best player of the game for me. He was outstanding. And it's amazing. It's amazing what this three-month break has done for the old men of this league. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, yeah. Yeah. you had Buffon have a big game in the yeah. Coppa Italia final. You know, Ribery coming out here running around. Um, what's that? It's a Jekka was good. He's not that old, but he's you know he's yeah. older. Yeah. Yep. So it, these older guys are getting in there and 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 uh, getting it done. They get that little three month layoff. They get that little break, and they're and they're right back in there and you know and playing well. So uh, you know certainly worth pointing out. And then Napoli again. I mean, defensively very solid. I mean, Verona didn't offer as much this time around as they did against Cagliari. Verona, Verona played to try to get a point. Silvestri had six saves. This could have been worse. Um, Napoli getting a 2-0 win. Milik, uh, and then, yeah, to your point, uh, Lozano, Long, and Gattuso's doghouse getting a needed goal, um, you know, to make it uh, to make it 2-0. And that was an assist by Fauzi Gulam on a corner kick. So good to see Gulam back out there. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, so for me, I thought, you know, Napoli just clipping along and I think really just enjoying life right now, enjoying the way things are going, and why not? Yeah, you know, many, many thought that Gattuso was not the right hire for Napoli. I'm not going to say I, – I didn't like it either at first, as much as I like Gattuso, but he's got a title now. Um, you know, I feel so good for him. And Napoli is obviously they, – they listen to everything he says. You know, they believe in him. They believe in each other. And this team, you can tell, is growing stronger and stronger each week. Um, and – yeah, they're going to make a push for a Champions League. It's going to be awful difficult with the four teams in the current spots. I mean, anything can happen, but 
They're going to make a strong case and make it maybe uh, maybe maybe be a solid fifth spot, fifth team, I think. Um, so, you know, Napoli is a very good squad, but this, this year there's too many too many really good teams ahead of them that they can't catch. The test for them is going to be if and when Koulibaly leaves. Um, yeah. Because right now you have a very good functional partnership in the center of that defense between him and Maksimovic, and Di Lorenzo can now go back on the right. And we, we, ta- we touched on this last week. Um, you know, they look more functional as a back four. You know, they had all, all those games where Di Lorenzo had to deputize and he held his own. He wasn't fantastic, right? but he's clearly a bit, he's clearly better as a right fullback than he is as a center back. And that's where you want to use him. Yeah. So, um, so for, so for me, it was, it was good to see again. I mean, they've got three straight, you know, they had the, the, ever since they haven't conceded a goal now in you know, 269 minutes of play or whatever it is. I mean, they had that first minute goal they gave up to Erickson. That was just a complete gaffe. Yeah. Um, but other than that, in the run of play, goalkeepers are stepping up and making saves. Maksimovic and Koulibaly playing well together. They're getting some good support from the midfield. Um, and that's going to be a foundation because, I mean, what they got going forward, it's not going to be Saudi ball anymore. All right. You're departed from that. You're, you're, you're now, but. <laughs> They can win a lot of games playing this way, and with the front three, whether it's Milik up front or whether they run Mertens as a false nine, um, there's some flexibility with what they can do going forward, and they can be just as lethal. They can, they're probably not going to score as many goals, but just as dangerous a team to play against with those tactics. Oh, 100%. I mean... Juve did it for years, right? Just get enough goals and then lock up shop. They, they got the defense uh, over at Napoli. You got to feel good for Maximovic because he had so much hype, you know, when he first came around. Uh, didn't live up to it, but, you know, now he's uh, with Koulibaly. I mean, anybody with Koulibaly is going to do well, right? I think you or I maybe maybe do okay with uh, Koulibaly there next to us. But um, this Napoli team knows how to play defense now, you know, under Gattuso. They're very disciplined, and um, he's got the pieces in place that he maybe didn't have before to really – play the kind of defense that he wants. Uh, and the two goalkeepers, as you mentioned, Ospina and Meret, uh, they take their turns, but they both come up big when, they, when, they're, when their number's called. So uh, this yep. team does what they have to do, and yep. they, they, they do it well. Yep, indeed. So so those are the, four, the first four days of games, but it's all about what went down on Wednesday, Richard. Um, yeah. Let's start with Inter and Sassuolo. Hmm. Um, Inter... What's that? I was like, no, no, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Inter, you know, coming back out with uh, Handanovic in goal. Skrinja, Ranocchio, and Bastoni across the back. Moses, Roberto Gagliardini getting a start. Borja Valero, and then Cristiano Beraghi getting a start on the left. Christian Eriksen behind. Romelu Lukaku, and this time Alexis Sanchez. Um, and then uh, Sassuolo making a couple of changes here. Consili still in goal. It was uh, Muldur on the right, Vlad, Vlad Kirikas on the in, in there with uh, Gianmarco Ferrari, Rogerio on the left, Pedro Obiang and Man, uh, Manganelli uh, in midfield. In front of them, Boga, Filip Juricic, and Domenico Berardi with Francesco Caputo up front. Um, and uh, what a spectacle this game would be. Uh, <laughs> you know, what a, what a performance from both teams. Uh, and it opened early, uh, Francesco Caputo, and if he's going to have his hair dyed blonde, he's not my cousin. Um, but he keeps scoring. Well, yeah, fine. Good for him. <laughs> but when he goes back to his natural hair color, he can be my cousin again because we don't do that in our family. Um, 
So he didn't get the memo. Uh, <laughs> I guess on an assist from Philippe Juricic, that made it a goal to nil. So a shock lead right away for the visitors. But with how loose they are defending and how fun bad they are, you knew the goals were going to eventually come. Yeah. And then it was a foul in the penalty area. Uh, Boga, uh, and I can't remember who it was, he clipped. Skriniar, Skriniar. Was it Skriniar? Okay. Yeah. Um, he, he clipped Skriniar in the penalty area. Um, just enough for that to be a penalty. I mean, yeah. I didn't see a whole lot in it, but they yeah, gave it. Was it. It was uh, the the crazy part was is that it was a, a forward defending a defender in the offensive end, um, and so you know if it was a defender, I think he would have done a lot better at that kind of play to avoid that. Of course, somebody a little bit later we'll talk about couldn't, uh, but yep. yeah, it was just enough where I think a penalty was it was warranted. It was it wasn't much to it, but it was enough. And in steps Romelu Lukaku, who finishes and uh, levels it at one. And just before halftime, Cristiano Baraghi coming through uh, to make it two one to enter. Now, Alex Dono hates Cristiano Biragi, and, and he gave it to him. <laughs> what's that? It was a nice, goal. It was a nice short-sighted goal. Yeah, it uh, was. I like and, it. But, I mean, Biragi at Inter, I mean. It's not what we thought it was going to be, right? We thought. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a good player. There might, there might be an issue with, I think, from his left wing back position. I think he wants to play a little freer than what Conte wants out of that. You know, yeah. so that's why guys like Ashley Young get the get the minutes because they're willing to do some of the dirty work and the tackling and the ball winning. And maybe Cristiano Biragi is just not that player. He wants to just hang out on the left flank. He wants to get a little bit higher, uh, and he wants to just pump in crosses. Yeah. Um. You know, and maybe doesn't want to do the rest of it. So, uh. You know, and that could be where you could have some conflict. So, um. Are you surprised that it's been a struggle and that Biragi has not gotten to, you know, gotten to what we should expect from him in this setup? Yes, because uh, we both saw him when he was at Torino. We thought what a, what a, what a great player he was. He'd be, he'd be a great asset for anybody, but yep. he struggled. And it's got to be, you know, the, the tactics that, you know, each of the managers had, specifically Conte. Um, he just, like you said, he, can't, he doesn't want to adapt to what Conte wants. He wants to do what he to stay on the left-hand side and pumping crosses and, that's not what Conte wants, and uh, we've seen it time and time again over the years. You know, if you don't do what Conte wants, you're not going to get the pitch time that you deserve. That you right. Deserve. And that's probably why he doesn't help, you know, not getting as much pitch time as he normally had. Uh, you're going to be very consistent, and it shows this season with him. And But, you know, getting that goal was was good for him, good confidence there, and yeah. hopefully Conte can continue to, to lean on him a little bit more, especially playing every three games. Sure. Um just a carbon copy of, of the Lukaku penalty happened in the second half, you know, yep. just about in the same area too. Yeah. Yep. So um, it was uh Kuldur that was brought down in the penalty area this time. And Domenico Berardi steps up to make it two, two game on 81st minute. Mm. Uh, and uh, we were in for a wild ride because just five minutes later, a free kick for inter Antonio Candreva with a curling ball towards the back post and Borja Valero. Bullshit. Somehow. Sassuolo just decided he's not very good. We can just not mark him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he has the easiest finishes. I should, it's, it's worth noting, though, that prior to this, you could argue that Roberto Gagliardini had an even easier chance than Borja Valero did, and he completely <laughs> fluffed it. Yeah, if that was Gagliardini right there at the end of that ball, he would have missed that as well. So, yeah, yep. terrible miss. Oh, my goodness. Yep. So, we'll give Valero at least some credit here that he was able to finish that. To be fair, uh, 
if he left it alone, Kondreva would have scored that goal. It was going in anyway, and he, all, he, all he did was just touch it right at the like, one-inch mark and went in. Sure, fair enough. Fair enough, but it's 3-2. Uh, and then just three minutes later, Inter can't get out of their own way, and it's Magnani who comes in as a substitute and scores in the 89th minute. And just for good measure, Milan Skriniar gets, you know, <laughs> fouls the player out of frustration, not realizing that he is on a yellow, gets the second yellow, gets sent off, is going to be suspended yeah. Uh for this weekend's match, and uh, who did I say Inter was playing next? Um, Toronto Black. They're playing Parma, so uh, could be. Uh, it's unfortunate for Inter because uh, they got some speedy wingers over there that could really cause them some trouble. And uh, with us yep. uh, intelligence, it's going to be awfully difficult. Potentially a blood in the water situation for Parma. Yeah. Uh, something that they're going to have to take advantage of. But this one ends three three. Um, you had Roberto Gagliardini with that awful miss. You had Andrea Consigli make six saves in this game. And I walk away from this saying, how does Inter not get three points here? You want to know how they not get three points? Sassuolo's their bogey team. They have an awfully hard time beating them for whatever reason it is. Regardless of form, regardless of where these teams are at and all this other stuff. Sassuolo just took a spanking to Atalanta. Big deal. They're going to snatch a point from, from Inter anyway because that's what happens. They are a bogey team for both Milan clubs. It's just something about the Milan water or something that they they play so much better. And we we said before, it was the last podcast, we said they, they're a bogey team. Watch out for them. It's going to make it difficult for Inter. And sure enough, they did. Um, a crazy ride, like you said, you know, goals back and forth. But um, I'm not too surprised. And I don't, and I, you know, there's not too many people are going to be surprised. I know the, the most surprised people in the, in the whole in the whole bunch is the Inter fans when they saw the lineup because I know they didn't like it. I know a bunch of them were murmuring how – uh, they didn't they didn't like the lineup pregame, but you can't be surprised that Sassuolo played as well as they did because they had been doing it previously in, over the years against Inter and Milan. So um, good good for them. And you know, Consili, he played poorly this the two games. Obviously, Atalanta is gonna make everyone look poor, but he 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 looked really bad in both games. Uh, Baraki goal it looked like he didn't even try to make a save with his arms. Is all I don't know what he was doing there, but still, Inter should have won that game, and they didn't. But he still made six saves. He made six saves. I know. It's just crazy. Yeah. David Fonte's here. Ciao, David. Hey, what's Presidente up? Presidente of AC Milan uh, Club Philadelphia. Poor so, Inter. <laughs> yeah, poor Inter is right. Um, you know, dropping points. They they can't they can't overcome uh, Sassuolo. David, what did you think about Milan's performance? Um, happy to see them win and score four goals or grouchy because Simon Chiar is out for a long time. Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. There are uh, no wrong answers. Yep, there are no. There's no wrong answer to either. So, um, well, the next one was the fun one. I'll let you have that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this was a big, big game. Atalanta hosting Lazio. Um, a big game because Lazio is one point behind Juventus. So prior to coming to this week, this, this match day, um, Juve obviously got the win, so they're up. They're up. They're up. You know, four points and. Lazio has to win to keep pace. They they need to win. But Atalanta are no slouches themselves. Um, this game we thought was going to be a barn burner, and it, and it was to an sense. Maybe didn't get all the goals we thought. It wasn't 6-4, 6-5, but it was, a, it was a great game nonetheless. Uh, scoring started early. Martin Darun, unfortunately, uh, he, he scored for Lazio. Lazio don't need any help, Frank. Uh, they can score plenty on them right on their own. Uh, own goal in the fifth minute, one nothing for Lazio. Uh, just a few minutes later, uh, SMS Sergey Milinkovic Savic. Uh, he's back. He's back, man. And uh, what a what a brilliant goal he scored there from the top of the box. 
right footed shot on the left on the left uh, just past the goalkeeper's right. Two nothing there, and it looked like Lazio were true, uh, true in this college, in this uh, scudetto race here. Meaning, you know, they they're there for the victory and they weren't messing around. But it's Atalanta, and we know what Atalanta does. They do Atalanta things. Uh, in the 38th minute, the left back Robin Gosens uh, he gets the goal, makes it two one, um, and then just before halftime. Uh, Ruslan Malinovsky, and this is my pick for goal of the weekend. I mean, he just smashes the ball past uh, past the keeper. Nothing Sarkosha or any keeper in the world could have done about that. What sure. a rocket of a shot. 2-2 in the halftime. Didn't look good there. And coming out of the break, uh, you know, in, Atalanta continued, you know, uh, attacking Lazio. They had a good amount of possession in the first half. Uh, Palomino put, you know, ended the comeback, and then they got the game winner. An 80th minute, not lovely header there. I mean, a team play by Atalanta after going down two nothing. Not surprised, honestly. I mean, are we surprised? There's there's no team that can stop them from scoring. I don't, I don't think in the world, maybe. So uh, they get an impressive, an impressive three two victory. I thought it would maybe it'd be a, you know a, a, a draw uh, with lots of goals, but I mean they they proved their guts and uh, people thought when they were down two nothing maybe you know, this outside chance Napoli or somebody could come in and uh, take their Champions League spot, but I don't see it happening. This Atalanta squad is way too good. Three uh, two for Atalanta. I know in the like on the promos on Fox Sports when they're talking about Bayern Munich and they're like you hear the commentator saying it's an honor to watch them play. It's an honor to watch Atalanta play. It really is. It's it a is. it's a treat. Um, and uh, they outshot Lazio twenty four to six. Uh, in this game, they had 60% of the possession. I mean, they dominated this game. They could have won by more. Um, you and know, I mean, it looked like Inzaghi was trying to soak with the pressure, but I mean, Atalanta, you can't give them that kind of that kind of possession. They're going to break you down. I don't care who you are. They're going to break you down. But Lazio has done this before, up two nil yeah. in key games. So it's not Atalanta. Unfortunately, now, they, they came I mean, back Atalanta in the past. So the game we thought could have ended in a draw, but uh, Atalanta just. Just did enough to, to yep. get the victory. Yep, Lazio has had leads in big games before uh, yeah. when they're trying to chase something and and uh, and have capitulated. So, yeah. but this Atalanta team looks terrific. I mean, seven goals from two games, um, from two key games, getting all six points. Uh, you know, I mean, granted both are home games, and you know, there's there there's a there's a bit of a sentiment really um, that we want to see them continue to do well and continue to work their way up. I mean. Uh, you know, and make sure they lock up, continue to lock up this Champions League. Go deep into the Champions League this season when it kicks back off again in August. They're already in the last eight. Yeah. Um, you know, with with everything that happened in Bergamo and how ravaged they got from COVID nineteen, you just want to see that team, you know, be a symbol of all of that and do well too. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's uh, it's certainly very impressive. And uh, boy, Atalanta really just outstanding throughout the week. Yeah, they absolutely were. Uh, David David Fontes chiming in and says he's pleasantly surprised. Unfortunate about Kiar, but thrilled with Hakan. Uh, I agree about that. Deservedly MVP. Happy for him because he usually gets shit on deservedly, and some, usually by us too. Uh, I'm sure the Milan Club Philadelphia does as well. But uh, yeah, that, that, it was uh, an impressive win by Milan, and obviously Atalanta as well. Yep. So that is a uh, key win there uh, for Ladea. Uh, Lazio. Do we look at this? Do we look at this day as the day that that Juve won the title? I mean, now they're four points clear. <laughs> yeah, it does look like, doesn't it? You know, Inter capitulate, uh, Lazio do as well, 
It's now what a four point gap or yeah, four point gap. It's going to be awfully difficult. It's not over yet. It's, I mean, it's, there's so many games left. Anything can sure. happen. But you don't fancy Juventus to lose enough that Nazio can catch them. You would think. Definitely. They got to play each other still. Uh, and you got to hope that somebody else beats Juventus. And do Atalanta play Juventus still down the stretch? Um, I think they do, yeah. So that could be interesting there. So, yeah. Yeah, that's Not up to Jay. Point. I mean, Atalanta are 12 points behind. It's a. Yeah, yeah Atalanta's next game is at Udinese, hosting Napoli on July 2nd. Oof. That at Cagliari, hosting Samp at Juve. There it is. And then hosting Brescia at Verona, hosting Bologna at Milan at Parma, and then finishing at home against Inter. Uh, so up and down, a bit of an up and down run in for them the rest of the way. But, I mean, the way they're running and the form that they're in, there's there's no way they're not top four. Um, I think it will be interesting for sure, I think. Back with the title race, if yep. they, do what they, if they can do their part. That's a, that's a big thing. They're going to have to win out. Definitely. Uh, and the action wrapped up on Wednesday with Roma taking on Sampdoria. Uh, Roma coming out. Mirante getting the start and goal. Yeah. Uh, Bruno Perez, Chris Smalling, Roger Ibanez, and Alexander Kolarov across the back. Amadou Diarwara and Jordan Vera too. You had Carlos Perez, Javier Pastore, and Henrik Mkhitaryan all behind Aiden Dzeko. Uh, Sampdoria counters with Audero uh, in goal. Uh, Bartosz Berezinski. Maya Yoshida, a guy near and dear to your heart, is a uh, Southampton supporter. Right, yeah. uh, Lorenzo Tonelli and Tommaso Aguello. I haven't heard of these guys. I know Tonelli. Um, Aguello I haven't heard of. Um, Fabio De Paoli, uh, Morton Thorsby, Albin Ekdal. Albin Ekdal's got to be like 45 years old right now. He's been in Serie A <laughs> forever. Uh, Carol Linetti, uh, Jacob Bianco, and then Manolo Gabbiadini up front. Uh, but it was a shock on the cards to open things up in the 11th minute. It was uh, Manolo Gabbiadini putting one away and getting Sampdoria out in front. Um, in the 32nd minute, a brilliant strike by Jordan Veritu that gets overturned on a, I, I, I'm sorry, a very ticky tack handball call BS, on Carlos Perez. BS play. A BS yeah. ball. I, his, his arm was to his side. The ball hit him. What's he going to do? He can't yeah. get out of the way. There's no way. I mean, if he cut his, cut his arm off, maybe they're not going to get that call. But that was bull. I mean, I'm happy Roma won the game, but that's a BS call right there. And that was a beautiful goal, unfortunately, taken away from Vera, too. I can't remember what Premier League game I watched uh, this week, but where I saw that that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that it had hit a player's hand and they didn't even bother going to VAR. I mean, it was pretty incidental and accidental and – you know, this was the same thing. Yeah. So, what's wrong with it? I don't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but but yeah. anyway, um, it would remain one nil, and uh, it was uh, the sixty fourth minute. Finally, Aiden Jacka with a goal of the week candidate. Uh, outstanding turn and strike on the left foot. Um, one of the sweeter goals you're going to see. And that pass uh, was beautiful. The pass from Lorenzo Pella and Lorenzo Pellegrini is having a really nice season yeah. with Roma, by yeah. the way. Yeah. It's worth noting. Um, that made it 1-1, and up until then, I mean, Odero was looking like he was on his way to being man of the match because he was doing yeah. everything to keep Roma out. Um, but then uh, some of the substitutions, some of the adjustments were were being made, and um, in the 85th minute, Aiden Jacko takes another one out of the air, uh, this time with his right foot, this time from Brian Cristante, uh, and to make it... Guy. 2-1, and Roma would get all three points. Um, you know, 
the two finishes from Aiden Jekyll were brilliant, but I think the goalkeepers, both of them get a, deserve a lot of love here. Um, this was a two, one game that you could have broke out the abacus for with the chances that were getting created on both ends. Mirante made eight saves. Odero made seven saves. I mean, outstanding performances from them, uh, you know, to keep this a two, one scoreline and not have something crazy like a four, three or a five, four. Yeah, both goalkeepers are really outstanding. I thought Aduro uh, had some poor games, uh, you know, as of you know recent memory. But you know, this game he he really stepped up. He had some big saves um, on Checo and some other guys as well. So uh, and and then Mirante as well. You know, we, we talked about him before how uh, maybe he deserved to be the, the starting before Paul Lopez came in, um, and he he you know came in and did what he had to do. He, you know, he he got the he got the start, made some big saves, and really he could be you know, one of the main reasons that they won the game that him and Jekyll. So. Sure. Sure. So uh, a key win there for Roma to uh, stay in fifth and, and really keep some separation from the teams that might be chasing them from Europa league place and still put a little bit of pressure on Atalanta, uh, you know, keeping them honest. Uh, so reversal of fortune for the capital clubs, obviously Lazio having a much <laughs> more difficult fixture. Um, but in the end, in the end, it's Roma getting a win. Yeah, trying to make it somewhat of a race for a Champions League position. Uh, you know, still out of there. So let's uh, glance at the table after all of that. Juventus now top at sixty-six points, um, and I believe everybody has now played twenty-seven games. It was very creative right. how they did that, how they built all that in. Yeah. Um, right. So Juventus is on sixty-six points. Lazio second on sixty-two. Inter third on fifty-eight. Atalanta. Fourth on 54. Those would be your Champions League places. Nothing has changed with the top four. Roma in fifth on 48. Napoli, 42. Nothing's changed there. Milan, nothing's changed there. 39 for them. Parma, 39. Verona, 38. I think Parma jumped over Verona because uh, they had the two games. Or maybe not. Nope, nope. Uh, yeah. I stand corrected. Uh, they were tied on points, and then Parma, uh, Parma did jump over them, yes. Uh, Cagliari to 10th after that win over Spall on 35. Bologna in 11th on 34. Sassuolo in 12th on 33. Torino on 31. As is Fiorentina on 31. Udinese in 15th on 28 points. Sampdoria on 26. Genoa on 25. Lecce in 18th in the drop zone on 25. And there on goal difference. Spall 18 points. Brescia 17 points. Mm. We've got four teams in my – I think it's four teams. I think Fiorentina is okay, but – and Torino is okay. On th they're each on 31 points. But 15. they better start getting some points. Yeah. Um, I, I really look at the last spot coming down to four teams, coming down to Udinese, Sampdoria, Genoa, and Lecce uh, for that last spot. What say you? It's And it's tough, isn't it? Because you want to see Udinese. They're a perennial Serie A club. You, you know, the, the history with them and – you want to see them stay up, you know. The, obviously, the two Genovese clubs. You love to see them stay in Serie A, but Lecce has been a good story too. You know, they got the great kids, great fan base, um, and you you want to see them continue up. But one of these teams has got to go down, and who you, you got to pick your poison, which yeah. do it. You know, for me, it's probably going to be kind of probably going to be Lecce, though they have. Yeah. It feels like they have more scoring opportunities uh, or scores than the other clubs, but uh, yeah, they, they they can't keep anyone out of the net. That's their problem, and unfortunately, that's. Uh, not the way to get promoted or stay in the league uh, by giving up goals. So, uh, Lecce's running. They're at Juve on Friday. Um, 
Big one on Wednesday the 1st against at home against Sampdoria, then at Sassuolo, then hosting Lazio at Cagliari, hosting Fiorentina at Genoa. That July 9th, that's July 19th. That could be the one that decides which of those two might stay up if it comes down to those two teams. They're at Udinese as well. So they've got some guys in front of them that they're playing against. They host Fiorentina. So they're playing some teams that 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 are ahead of them that they can snatch some points from. So they've got every opportunity to go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, so let's see. We've got bag full of toffee joining us. Hey, buddy. Hey. Never saw Inter game. Just highlights. Was watching game of the day. Our mighty 1-0 win at Norwich. He's Everton fan, of course. That a boy, the worst team in the league. <laughs> Any outside chance? But you know what? Don Carlo has got uh, back-to-back clean sheets now yeah, yeah. Uh, since the, since coming back. So he's at least got that fixed. Any outside chance interhead for the Scudetto is now gone? Yes, I agree. Sassuolo certainly has the number. Um, has the he- has the hex on them. So yeah. Uh, we talked about. We touched on this. It might be a four-point gap right now. Juventus over Lazio. I'm. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Juventus is going to win this title. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope it too. But I mean, it, anything can happen. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to fool out. Say, yeah, Juventus won a title. It look. It looks like that, but uh, it's not good right now for Inter and uh, specifically Lazio. But it's still a two. T- it, it's a two-team race now, though, with Inter yeah. dropping those points against Sassuolo. And I think it was even before they dropped those points. I, I, you know, they were on 58 points and they're what four points behind Lazio. I mm-hmm. still think it's a tour of three horse race. I still thought it was two horse. I, Inter are too consistent, too inconsistent to, to keep up with the top two. They sure. have games where they drop it. And, and Conte shown in the past is when he has games every three days, he can't do it right. He can't get it right. So uh, he was, they were never contender for me. And I think. Roma is going to be in Europe. It's a matter of can they find a way to catch Atalanta, and right now I don't think they will. Right. Um, so I think that they're kind of sitting in a Europa League purgatory, but they've got to go keep fighting for every point they can get. Um, and then I think the remaining Europa League place realistically at this point involves four teams, Napoli, Milan, Parma, and Verona. Now Verona you know, miss out on, on losing all three points to Napoli at home, uh, but each of those four teams, I think, are are right in the mix for it. Um, so that's where that's getting interesting. We talked about four teams probably for the last relegation spot. I think at this point it's all over for Spall and Brescia too. Yeah, yeah. It's really Lecce's the only team that has a chance to get out. That's only, the other two are long gone. Goals of the week. I'll cool. give you mine. Okay. Um in at number five, I've got Aiden Jekko, his first goal, the one he took out of the air with his left foot. Brilliantly done. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Sergei Milinkovic-Savic's goal against Atalanta. Uh, yeah. Great finish from distance. Uh, number three, that banger from Ruslan Mal- Mal- Malinovsky of Atalanta to get things going for Ledea against Lazio. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with Paulo Dybala's excellent finish uh, and, and neat assist there from Federico Benedeschi. But I love everything about Romelu Lukaku's goal, assisted by Christian Eriksen. Just a brilliant combination play to carve the Sampdoria defense and free Lukaku for that finish. I, I love that kind of team goal. That's the kind of stuff I like to watch. Um, and that was uh, precision uh, from beginning to end on that move, uh, finishing with Lukaku. So that's my top five. 
Uh, don't really have a top five, but I'll give you all the goals that I liked. I liked both goals in that game by Inter. I thought both the team goals were excellent, especially that Lukaku one for sure. Um, I like both Ed and Jekyll's goals. The assists were both mouthwatering for me. Uh, Pellegrini on the first one and then uh, Cristante on the second. Uh, what else we got? Um, the Atalanta game, obviously Malinowski, that's goal of the week for me. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's, those, are probably, those are probably all the goals that I like. And uh, obviously Dybala. Dybala was a sensational strike. Kuliszewski had a nice strike as well. Yep. Uh, nice foot shot. So, yeah, those are my shots. But Malinowski is the goal of the week for me. Perfect. Um Winners and losers. My winner is Juventus. Um, while Atalanta were mesmerizing to watch in both of their games, when we want to talk about actual results across the board, for me, Juventus is the winner. They get the win against Bologna and the closest title rivals, Lazio and Inter, each drop points. They now have a gap, and they've been in this situation before. And like I said, when they get into this spot, they're hard to catch. And I, I, I think – the table may not say that they've got this wrapped up, but I really find it hard to see Lazio catching Juve now. Um, my loser is Spall. Um, that should be the way they played and the way that game went, and you have Caliotti coming to your place. That is three points that you have to have. You get that. You're on 21, and you make this relegation fight even more interesting. Um, you become a thing in this, and uh, they didn't get that done, and now they're on 18, and it's a long way home uh, with 11 games to go, and I just I can't find them doing it. I don't think – and on top of that, I, Luigi DiBiagio is just not going to be the answer to get them out of this. So um, that's where I'm going for my loser. It's going to be Spall. Okay. Uh, my winners of the week are going to be – Obviously, Kuliszewski, Kuliszewski, uh, Don Cornelius with his hat trick, his tripleta. Uh, also, uh, Napoli, uh, you know, get the win in the Coppa Italia final. They play a very good Hellas Verona's team, and they they shut them out. Uh, it was a very good game, very strong game by Napoli. So they're my winners of the week. My losers of the week are Lazio and Inter. Um, any chances that they had of the Scudetto is possibly gone now. Um, they had to win. Lazio had to win. Uh, they did not. Uh, not only did they over up two nothing, they blew the game completely. So yeah, those are my losers of the week. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can. I can probably make Lazio an honorable mention for loser of the week as well. So, yeah. um, but no doubt about it. So those were our goals of the week. Those were our winners and losers. Uh, give us yours at City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we have a full schedule Friday through Sunday. Uh, for the next round of matches. So three days of Calcio. Here we go again. Um, Friday, it'll be uh, Juve hosting Lecce. Uh, three games on Saturday. Brescia hosting Genoa. Cagliari hosting Torino. Lazio hosting Fiorentina. Can Lazio bounce back after that disappointing loss at Atalanta? On Sunday, uh, the big one. Milan hosting Roma. Uh, Napoli hosting Spal. Sampdoria hosting Bologna, Sassuolo hosting Hellas Verona, Udinese hosting Atalanta, and wrapping it up, another big one, Parma hosting Inter. Clearly, it's Milan-Roma, Parma-Inter are the two, yes. are the pick of the week for these. Uh, which one probably more the game of the more the game of the week? I think it's I, and I don't want to be biased, but I think it's the Milan-Roma game. One, the brand name on both sides. Two. What's on the line? Milan's pursuing a European place. Roma is trying to get out of Europa purgatory, if you will, and these three and getting three points like this could possibly go a long way in their pursuit to maybe nabbing a top four spot, although I think it's going to be hard for them. 
Right. Um, so I, I, I'm going there just because I think Inter is going to be locked in a Champions League place with really not much else going on. Um, Parma needs that game, obviously, if they're trying to chase Europa League. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll just edge the Milan-Roma game as the game of the week just over Parma and Inter. And that's a good shout because the, the way Milan played uh, this past week, or the, just the other day, uh, they looked very good. And you you got to like those chances of them continuing that, especially against Roma. It's going to be a big game, uh, two, two big-name clubs. Uh, but I'm going to go, obviously, with the other game, uh, Parma-Atalanta. Parma, Parma Inter, I think uh, it's going to be without Skriniar in the in the back. There, it's going to give more room for Kulishevsky and and Jervinia to operate behind the behind the back line. Uh, could be another big day for Don Cornelius. Uh, and I think because of that, Inter are not going to let that happen and, and try to get goals themselves. And we might see you know another three two kind of game in that one. The Milan game it, it seems going to be low scoring for me, maybe two one, but likely like a one one type deal. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of goals in that Parma game, and for that reason, it's going to be the game the goal of the game of the week. Uh, but for every reason you said, I do like that Milan-Roma uh, game. Uh, I'm definitely going to have my eyes on that one. I think that Brescia-Genoa game is is huge yes. as well, especially for Genoa. I mean, this has to be three points for them. If not, you're square in the middle of this thing. Yeah. So let's see how they let's see how they come out and let's see how they, um, they take care of business. Um, Fiorentina, this could get a little sticky for them if they don't get something at Lazio. I think Lazio... We'll get that done, but I think it'll be closer than everybody thinks. Um, you know, I, I so I'll, I'll just go down the line. Hube, I think, will win at home against Lecce. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be another typical two nil. Get in there, get your two nil, two get your two goals, keep them out, get out. Um, Brescia, Genoa, I will go with. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, after watching Genoa today, exactly. or, I mean the other day. You would have had them as favorites, but now you're like, oh, I don't Because there's enough with Brescia to still make this interesting. I'm going to go with the draw there. Okay. 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Um, so Genoa will have a point over Lecce after that. Uh, Cagliari hosting Torino. I think that Cagliari gets a little bit back on track here. They did get the win at Spall. Um, Torino slugged out a draw against Parma, got a goal against Udinese. Um, probably should have done a little bit better than they did, given the talent that they have. Uh, but I'll go with, uh, you know, going to Sardinia being a difficult task for Torino. And I'll go with Cagliari winning 2-1 there. Lazio, I'll go with a 2-1 win over Fiorentina. Milan-Roma, wow. Um, I'm chickening out. I'm going to go draw 1-1. I felt it. I felt it in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Napoli just like the way they're running right now, and I think they're going to get another clean sheet on Spall. I'm going to go 3-0 for Napoli on this one. Uh, Sampdoria and Bologna. Um, I think this game could be very entertaining. Uh, I think there will be goals in this one. I'm going to go 2-2. Oh. Um, Sassuolo and Verona. Uh, I am going to go... Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 mm-hmm. to... <laughs> this is a tough one. That's actually This is actually going to be a good game. Um yeah. But I think Verona's a little better at home than they are away, and I think Sassuolo play well there at the Mape. I'm going to go 2-1 to Sassuolo. I'd love to see five. I want five goals from Sassuolo just because I just want to hear tub thumping. But it's Verona. As man. much as they possibly can. <laughs> um, Udinese, Atalanta. It's Udinese at the Friuli. It's Atalanta away, which, okay, fine. But I'm going to go 3-1 to Atalanta there. And Parma, Inter, 
Um, well, uh, that's a t that's another tight one. I think that they will miss Skriniar. Um, how big can Sepe be in this game? I think that's going to be key. He's been fantastic all season. I think you're going to see great goalkeeping in this game from both goalkeepers. But in the end, I'm going to just only just give you into the two one win. Okay. Okay. So those are my those are my scores. Uh, those are all good shots. I think that game's gonna be probably like a two two. Um at least yeah, I think two two in that game. But I like I like all your shots for most of the most of these games. So um I the only other flip I'll do was uh I think Hellas is gonna win two one against Asuolo. Okay. So you'll go with yeah. I'll just kind of say that on the a hangover after the loss to Napoli. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And now having to go to the Mapei, Sassuolo may be getting a little energized after getting a draw at Inter, uh, kind of seeing that dynamic going on. So um, we'll see what happens. You never know. Uh, stick around for the interview with James Rowe. All right, we are back, and uh, we're here with our very special guest. Uh, he is a, a Dutch football expert, a uh, football interviewer, regular, regularly features on World Football Index, Talk Sport, Talk Sport 2, Love Sport Radio, Capital FM Moscow, and more. Um, I refer to him as Nostradamus, uh, but for everybody else, it is James Rowe. I say, good evening, James Rowe. Welcome to uh, City Asset Down. <laughs> Thank you for a lovely uh, introduction. Very impressive indeed. Thank you. Yeah, well, the reason I call this guy Nostradamus is because he is the only guy on the planet who picked Matthias de Ligt to come to Serie A and to Juventus in particular. Uh, and I heard nobody else even mention that name uh, in Serie A. And so that is why I call him Nostradamus. Uh, I want to give you kudos right off the top because you're the only person I know who even remotely even said his name in Serie A. So kudos to you mm -hmm. on that one. Thank you very much, and um, I can let listeners know as well. For me, when you look when you look at the character of the young man, and the fact that his uh, his agent is uh, Areola and Riola's ties to uh, to um, to City and and Juventus, and also the massive pull for him that was Juventus. Um, many listeners may know and may have expected Frenkie de Jong and um, Matthias de Ligt to go to the same club. And um, but the right. Licht himself said, you know, they're, they're friends, but you know, they um, it's important to kind of go the ways of their own development. And uh, for listeners that don't know, Paris Saint Germain were very hot on um, Frankie de Jong for a long time, and then it for him was Barcelona. But Matthias de Licht uh, chose Juventus, and as far as I'm aware, before the outbreak of Corona, was having a very good debut season um, at Juventus. And um, there was an interview that was done with Dutch TV where uh, De Ligt said himself that he's, uh, he feels really at home in Turin. He enjoys exploring the city. He enjoys going out and about and, and, and getting to know the city and uh, enjoying the matches. And he's saying about the training regi regime and the match day preparation. But he, he gets on particularly well with Adam, Adam, Adam Ramsey due to the English, uh, being able to speak English. But he's also said about, you know, his Italian lessons, lessons and taking it very seriously. And as someone who watched De Ligt from when he first came on the scene to when he left Ajax, I often said I used to translate his um, his pre-match press, uh, press conferences and post-match pre press conferences. 
and I would translate the press conference and the quotes of an 18, 19 year old, 17 year old in some cases, when he first came on the scene. And I would be translating the um, what was said, Richard, and I would be thinking to myself, is this a 30 year old man speaking? No, it's a 17 year old boy. He's just so mature. And even when defending, you know, I, I actually could be leading a game and he would be fighting tooth and nail to uh, to make sure they keep that clean sheet. And he's done ever so well at uh, international level with the Netherlands. You know, he'll go on to break a lot of records at international level in terms of caps, I think. And it's a great grounding for him at Juventus. You know, it's interesting how people expected him to go to Barcelona or Liverpool, but Juventus also as well. You know, the the biggest club in Italy, such a rich history. You know, going back to the days of uh, John Charles and Michel Platini, yeah. and um, and Ravine- Ravinelli in the mid nineties, and Viali, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to be at um, the Champions League final in two thousand and seventeen, uh, when they, okay, they lost in Cardiff, but beforehand, I'd never seen. Uh, I'd never seen support like it. You know, there, there, there was lots of um, uh, st- stringent security in place, but even the long, long rows, the Juventus fans would just sing, sing and sing again. And even though they didn't win the game, uh, Mansukic's goal remains one of the greatest goals I've ever seen live in oh, any right, stadium. Yeah, it's a beautiful just, one. Just absolutely amazing. And um, just a shame they couldn't get over the line, but um, just a, a fantastic club. And I feel privileged to have seen them play live in such a setting and uh, a fantastic base in order for Matthias de Ligt to grow in future. Yeah, and you know, you're talking about him him being a captain and being so uh, so instrumental. It sounds like he's a 30-year-old. I remember when you know people first saw him as a captain at Ajax, people were like, oh, well, they just made the best player, you know, one of the best players a captain. But it's like, no, if you listen to his interviews, I mean, he sounded, like you mm. said, like, an, like a 30-year-old man and he knew what he was mm. talking about, and guys respected him, old and young. So, um, you know, for those who don't remember the interview we had, we had John here before he went to Juventus. Um, mm. Recap for everybody why you thought Juventus was going to be a good fit for him uh, in particular, and why why you thought Italy as opposed to nobody else. And obviously, I mean, Rioli well, plays a part in that. Yeah, of course. First and foremost, Rioli does play a part in that. But in terms of um, advice, not necessarily influence. Matthias De Ligt, even at 20 years of age, is, is still very much his own man. Right. And the fact he likes to defend, and he wants he want, he made it quite clear when leaving Ajax that there's two facets to when he leaves what he chooses. And the first facet was um, regular game time, regular game time, playing regularly, being able to uh, to improve as a player. And the second one was um, being able to. Um, improve as a defender, not just uh, be part of a squad, but go to a league where we all know about Catanaccio and the Italian <laughs> league. You know, even in even in the mid-90s, it was it was very, very strong. I mean, I, I used yeah. to watch, uh, I mean, I'm originally from the UK, or even though I live in the Netherlands, I um, used to watch Football Italia on a regular basis, and you would see James Richardson and, and the special uh, interviews and the, the subtitles when everything was all in Italian. And even, even now, you know, it's still... Uh, of a massive pool in terms of league. I mean, if you ha- if you have a league where, you know, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter, Napoli, Roma, Lazio, all play in the same league, then of course it's going to be a very very strong league. And um, I was fortunate enough to interview uh, the Dutch defender Timo Letschert when he was um, playing for Sassuolo when he left and signed for Sassuolo, and he yeah. was saying that he was um, he was 
really well looked after by his teammates, by the club. And, um, you know, he was made to feel at home. He's currently on loan. At, uh, no, I believe he's subsequently signed for uh, for Hamburg, as far as I'm aware, I believe. And um, But he's, he looks back on his time at Sassuolo in particular with a great with a great fondness and my interview with him was one of the early ones of, of world football index. I think it's from 2018. And um, yeah, just to say about, you know, outside of the bigger teams of Italy and, you know, Sassuolo have become an established uh, Serie A club and you see that um, the league, the league has an awful lot to offer. I mean, we also have uh, Mitchell Dykes at, uh, at Bologna also, yep. also playing well. Absolutely. Okay. They had a bad result yesterday. But you know it's it's a, it's an interesting league, and even though for me, obviously watching the Eredivisie firsthand here for more than a decade, originally being from the UK, and and having a vast interest in the in the Premier League and and also La Liga as a as a connoisseur, but um, I like to keep an eye on all different leagues, and I think the Italian league is very much um, going to continue to improve, and continue to be a um, a, a big pull for many players. Yeah, and, and Syria has always been known as a very uh, disciplined uh, defensive league. Uh, nowadays, it's more offensive, but it's still very tactical. Anybody who comes into the league says, you know, they, they, they remark about how tactical it is compared to other leagues. Um, and, you know, as someone who's been watching Delict uh, all season long, you know, he started out, you know, obviously very shaky. He had some good performances, but also had some big blunders. But he's grown throughout the season, gotten better and better. And you can see, and I've saw, I've seen with the Juventus fans that at first they were like unsure about him, but as you said, he had some great veterans around him, some great defenders around him they can learn from, and he's slowly just making being more and more consistent each and each game, uh, being involved both defense and attack. So he's very 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 much improving. And uh, you know, after speaking with you earlier in the early in the year uh, about the league, uh, it, it made made complete sense why he went to Juventus and or why he would go mm. to Juventus. And now it just seems like it's a perfect fit there uh, for him, as you mm. said. So. Um, yeah, that's 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 amazing that you obviously you call that, and obviously Delict is doing very well at the moment. So that it's great stuff for um, obviously you, but also you know for the young man as well, and it also helps bring more spotlight back to Syria into the Netherlands, where some other youngsters may be looking abroad and saying, "Hmm, maybe I should go there." Absolutely, absolutely. We've also had Stefan de Frey at Lazio, and now into yes, of course. Yes, Stefan de Frey did an exceptional job at Feyenoord. A really, really good job at Feyenoord and also, you know, felt very at home at Lazio as well. And one thing I would like the listeners to know is when Matthijs de Ligt made his, um, made his decision, he was questioned by, he was questioned by certain parts of the Dutch media and said to him, you know, you've got Chiellini, you've got Bonucci, you've got really big names in that, um, in that back line. And he said that, he, and they said, oh, will you play? He said, but I'm there to learn from them. He said, "These are the best, some of the best defenders in the world, and, yep. they, and they can teach, they can help me." And the, the one quality Matthias de Ligt has always had is the, his willing willingness to learn and to be completely aware of his surroundings. And he's never, he's never um, became arrogant. He's never become as if he's arrived. You know, he's just a, he's a fantastic, fantastic young man, and um, I'm sure he'll continue to grow again in future at Juventus. Many youngsters to take note from him the way he approaches uh, games and, and life in general. I mean, that's that's a fantastic attitude to have when you go into a new club. You know, many players be like, "Oh, I'll play. I, I'm that good." But he's like, "No, I'm going to learn from these. Are the best guys. I got. Mm. I'm going to learn from these guys." Mm. So that's great. Mm. Um, before we move on to some more Syria talk, 
Uh, I want to briefly talk about a player that many of many of us football heads know, D- uh, Donny Van de Beek. Uh, any mm. any latest updates on him? I know it's not Serie A related, but you know I just thought I'd fill in the rest of the people who uh, may, fa- may follow him around. Okay, that, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, to let listeners know, Richard, um, the 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 rumours have persisted here in the Netherlands for quite some time that it's highly likely that Real Madrid will be uh, Donny van der Beek's next destination. And should Real Madrid come with a serious offer, that is where he will go. Um, Before the season was curtailed here in the Netherlands, there was a real presence about van der Beek on the pitch. He, uh, in particular, in the the 4-0 win against Utrecht um, last November, he... um, he played a particularly key role, scoring two goals. One of the second one, I believe, was uh, just a tremendous goal. Well, all of them were. If um, listeners want to check that out on YouTube, uh, Ajax Utrecht from November 2019. I was at the game, and the presence that he has on the pitch now—he never used to have that. For me, for me, the key was the Champions League run last season, where the semi-final against Tottenham in London was like um, the culmination of. He has a presence on the pitch now. And it makes me feel old. I mean, I've been watching Ajax first time for more than a decade. And I was there when he scored on his European debut against Mulder, I believe in 2015, I think it was. Hmm. Might have been 14, not entirely sure. But um, yeah, it was um, just a fantastic presence. And uh, someone who's also fully aware, completely, um, completely, um, aware of his, uh, of his role within a team. And I think he, he he would like to go to Real Madrid as well. I think he fits Real Madrid. I think he... I see him having a similar role in learning from Luka Modric, the same way that Matthijs de Ligt is learning from Bonucci and... Um, learning from Bonucci and Chiellini, I believe that van der Beek could learn uh, from Luka Modric. So I believe if Real Madrid come in with a sensible bid and it's something that Ajax want to accept then I believe that uh, Van der Beek's next stop will be uh, the Better Bayou. Ah, very good, very good. So before we get to the youngsters, uh, let's look at uh, uh, one of the old vets, uh, Swiss international Ricardo Rodriguez. He used to play in Serie A with AC Milan, um, and now he is currently with PSV, and I believe he penned a new deal. Was that a permanent deal? Um, I believe that uh, he signed on loan originally until the end of the 2019-2020 season. And due to the um, season being curtailed and no football being played and contracts being, um, you know, the um, the clubs having to look at their contracts, I'm not sure if an extension has been announced, but he did sign initially on loan. And as far as I'm aware, um, it's something that PSV are looking to um, to extend. Uh, mainly due to his experience, you know, he's uh, first came to the fore um, at Wolfsburg, where yep. he made many, many appearances, and you will know of his time at AC Milan and also at international level. I mean, when I watched him, he always had a very good width and uh, could could provide accurate crossing. And um, I think at his age of, um, I believe he's 27 now, he um, the important thing is for him to play, and um, obviously with the Netherlands not being too far from Germany, where he was, uh, where he played for a long time. Maybe there's personal reasons as to why he wanted to come this way, but um, 
I'm sure there'll be more clarification about it going forward. Uh, the latest developments here in the Netherlands before I came on air to you tonight is our, our measures are going to be relaxed even more from July the 1st onwards, upon which uh, football will be played. The new season will start in September. So I believe in the coming weeks there'll be a lot more clarity as regards to um, contracts and the length of contracts and stipulations and that kind of thing. And how is how is his season going uh, this past season? How was it before the the hiatus? Well, um, I believe his experience wise was doing okay, and yeah. um, PSV very much did have very much improved before the season was curtailed. They have a new manager coming in next season, of course, Roger Smith, who people might know from, uh, I believe, by Leverkusen and also um, Salzburg. And um, the, the captain uh, Denzel Dumfries was the captain and really took to it like a duck to water really enjoyed the role and you saw them making progress and um, it's just it's such a, a strange start of the season with Van Bommel as well. Van Bommel was a former player of PSV and um, you know he also played for Fortuna Sittard and the arrogance to think that you can start your career at one of the biggest clubs in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. the, the second biggest club in the Netherlands if you like and um, Van Bommel unfortunately lost his job and Ernest Farber took over the reins but you wonder that you wonder the damage that that has done to um, to Van Bommel's career, Richard. You, you wonder. I mean, a fantastic player who played for AC Milan as well, and he won a special award here in the Netherlands for, you know, how adept he was at learning different languages and how good he actually was. Also, from his time at Barcelona, he's not just a, a fantastic footballer, Van Bommel, but also a tremendous linguist. But I do believe it was an oversight for him to start his career at such a club. I believe if he'd have started his managerial career at Fortuna Sittard, for example, I think he'd still be managing now. And uh, you wonder where the next um, opportunity for him will come from. Yeah, he uh, started out very well for PSV, but because uh, they were very high-octane high offense, it seemed like. I remember them and Ajax going back and forth, but then obviously mm. things turned sour for him very, very quickly. So. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of players that I've been, uh, that at least I know about in the in, in Netherlands that um, have been flirting with Syria, possibly moving, um, Az Akmar's uh, Myron Boadu and as well as Denzel Dumfries from PSV, as you mentioned. What would mm. those two players bring to Syria if they were able to make that move? Uh, after all, okay. Well, I'll start with Myron uh, Boadu, who played a key part in the, in Isaac Alakmar finishing uh, joint first, if you like. Although, although no. Uh, no champion was crowned here in the Netherlands. He played a huge part in their uh, in their rise to second under a somewhat inexperienced manager Arne Slot, and um, just goals and physicality. And he's completely, uh, completely free, completely unexhibited in terms of how he roams in the pitch, and he's very accurate in terms of goals. Um, I believe he will stay in the Netherlands for at least another season. I don't believe that at the, at the age of 19 that it's conducive for Bardu after a breakout season to seek such a move. And the most important thing, particularly for young players here in the Netherlands, is that is that they go on to play regularly. That, that's the most right. important thing. I mean, we saw, for example, I mentioned Timo Letzgert at Sassuolo. He went from Utrecht to... Um, to uh, Sassuolo and um, he played in the beginning and is now subsequently playing for ha- uh, Hamburger Sportverein in, Ge- in Germany. So it just goes to show the, um, 
the differences in in terms of the choices that the players make. But another um, another good example is uh, Klaasian Huntelaar when he left Ajax absolutely. and he went to Real Madrid, didn't get much playing time. Went to Milan, didn't get much playing time. Finally, mm-hmm. found a home at Schalke and just started banging yeah. in goals. So great example yeah. there. Absolutely, and I believe Bardu physicality very strong, accurate, accurate as well. An awful lot of stamina as well, an awful lot of stamina. But having having been in a position to interview professional players and managers for nearly four years, Richard, I'm, I often speak to players and managers, and they tell me that timing is everything in football. Timing of a transfer, timing of a manager coming in, timing of a, the opportunity to play, and you see a lot of people linking players with players and. Or, or looking at price tags and things like that. And you have to really look a bit deeper. And I think it will be in uh, Bardu's best interest to uh, to remain in the benevolence for, for at least one season more. Excellent. He had, and he had something, what, like 20 goals in 39 games or something uh, for AZ? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, was scoring many, many goals. And was um, um, also with the assists as well. Scoring many assists. Wow. And, um, and being... Uh, being a key part of that team, being a focal part of that team at the age of 19. That's amazing. You know, to, to, uh, together with uh, uh, Gold Miners as well. And um, our sets are really reaping the benefits of, of youth. They um, created a new training complex and they really put their eggs in one basket as regards to a youth policy about five years ago now. Even to the point of their youth teams, uh, the complex they would train at, every youth category would train next to one another. So it would be done in like a corridor setting where the under 13s, under 14s, under 15s, they see kind of looking down the tunnel that every every year they progress, they kind of go into the, to the next changing room further down the corridor to eventually get into the reserve team, to eventually get into the first team. So uh, they are really reaping the benefits of uh, reinvigorating their youth policy and um, they're really seeing the fruits of that. And another player that's been mentioned is uh, Denzel Dumfries. What are the chances that he comes to Serie A or even leaves, you know, PSV? Um, I think the chance is pretty big that Dumfries will leave PSV this summer. He's also added leadership to his game with uh, the captaincy of PSV. Um, I interviewed his former teammate uh, Rick Ketting, who played with him at Sparta, Rotterdam, and uh, Rick Ketting said to me last summer that when he arrived at the club, he was very much something of a late bloomer. But you could even see. That the, that the quality he had even then, he just had to show more belief in himself. And he did. And he's physically very strong. He's, it doesn't happen so much now, but Dumfries really came up the traditional route. When Sparta Rotterdam was promoted under Alex Pastor, he played in that Eredivisie season where they uh, stayed up and um, did an excellent job. Got a subsequent move to Heerden Fein and then a subsequent move to PSV Eindhoven. So, it, it just goes to show that it can be done. There are many, many good players here in the Netherlands. It's just the fact of looking and looking hard. And lots of people like to pigeonhole players and say, oh, he only <laughs> plays for that team. He mustn't be that good. If I can give listeners an example, there's a player on a free transfer, uh, current captain or outgoing captain of Vitesse Arnhem called Brian Linson. Now, he's an excellent player, a tremendous player, scoring, I believe, in excess of the last, I think, uh, for me, uh, I believe, I think three, four seasons at Vitesse that he's had, maybe not even that, I don't think, scoring many, many goals and many, many assists. And he's got a tremendous 
Hmm. Uh, work ethic, tremendous work ethic. He's recently turned down Feyenoord. Feyenoord were in negotiations to sign him from Vitesse, but he himself stopped the negotiations. Wow. And he was on he was on Dutch TV, and they said to him, "Why on earth did you stop the negotiations with Feyenoord?" He said, "Well, I'm not being arrogant, but they're treating me like a squad player." He said, I'm not asking for millions of euros of a salary. I'm not asking to play every single game. He said, all, all I'm saying is to be treated fairly. And I get the impression with Feyenoord that they think that he's just going to be a squad player. And Dick Advocat, who's the current manager, he said that Dick Advocat really wants, and I believe still wants, Brian Linson. And um, Advocat even said to Frank Arneson, how on earth did Feyenoord not manage to get this deal over the line? And um be very interesting to see where Brian Linson goes. Um, there's rumours of um, Qatar, there's rumours of China or maybe even the German league. I'm biased, but I hope he goes somewhere in Europe so I have the opportunity to speak to him. That would be very, <laughs> that would be very, very interesting because I first um, got, uh, took note of him when going to an Ajax Venlo match. He used to play for VFV Venlo in 2012. And Christian Eriksen was on the same pitch. But Linson was the best player on the pitch. Wow. And I thought, well, this guy is going to be a, a really good player. And then he moved to um, moved to um, Groningen. Then he moved to Heracles and, and making a step up. And then to Vitesse, became captain of Vitesse. And be really interesting to see where he goes. I think a team like Frankfurt or possibly even Schalke or maybe even Wolfsburg, you know, he's an, he's, he's an excellent player. And the next pla- the next team to get him are going to be very lucky indeed. So before we wrap this one up, uh, what what players can Serie A fans look forward to in, in the Eredivisie that could possibly make the move to Italy uh, to enhance their clubs? Well, if I give um, one particular name, going back to RZ, because I think he would really, really suit Italy, uh, Calvin Stengs. Calvin Stengs is the winger of RZ, who, again, provided a lot of goals for uh, Bardu and many assists. He came back from a terrible knee injury, a terrible knee injury. And um, he's gone on to become one of the best players in the Eredivisie this season. Fantastic width, fantastic left foot as well. And I think with the pace of Serie A, I think Calvin Stengs could do an excellent job. I don't necessarily mean for Juventus or Inter, but I think going forward, a team like Lazio or Napoli or Roma for yeah. Calvin Stengs for, for Calvin Stengs to start would be a very interesting move indeed. Wow, there you go, Lazio and Roma fans and uh, Napoli fans. Speaking of Napoli, any any thoughts on the whole uh, Irving Lozano, former PSV man, uh, the drama going on there with him and, and Napoli, and I guess potential move now with all the angst against uh, Gattuso. Well, it just goes to show how timing is so important, Richard. Um, yeah. What it makes me remember. What happened the season before he left, he did an interview with Ducks TV where he said that he was looking to go and play in Spain uh, due to the familiarity of the language and also that his family is comfortable off the pitch. So everybody thought naturally a link to Barcelona, a link to potentially Real Madrid or even Valencia. And then he plumped for, uh, for Napoli. And the most important thing is is if is for players to feel comfortable. Right. And I've spoken to many, many players where when you are um when you are in negotiations, sometimes um clubs can say things 
and really, really show that they want you. I'll give you an example. Do you know of Philip Sandler, who signed for Manchester City? Yes. I interviewed him shortly after the announcement was made that he was signing for Manchester City. And I went to the, what was then his club, Pex Waller, and I went to interview him at the stadium. And we spoke for about 20 minutes. It was one of the, my first interviews for World Football Index. He, last I heard, he was on loan from Manchester City at Anderlecht. And he was telling me, he said, um, he said the, the, the medical in particular took absolutely ages. And I said to him, I said, I said, what made you want to sign for Manchester City? He said, well, they really sold it to me. He said, they really made me feel as if they wanted to have me. They told me that I would be training with the likes of Sergio Aguero, David Silva, you know, making sure that I would feel comfortable off the pitch as well. And it was a really interesting insight. And it, it just goes to show that when he arrived at Manchester City and didn't necessarily break, break through, there was rumours of a move back to the Netherlands or a loan move back to the Netherlands at PSV. And I said, Alec Mai in particular. And um, that didn't materialise. And obviously he's gone to a familiar country in Belgium with Anderlecht. But it just goes to show how you have to be very, very careful the choices that you make. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a privileged position where I interview professional players and managers on a regular basis, Richard. And I have, my interviews are always completely 100% spot on in terms of what goes on behind the scenes. You know, even digging down to the likes of players, what what they went through at youth level. For example, a lot of Chelsea players were coached by uh, Brendan Rodgers, for example, and they say about his tra- about his training sessions. They Even now, like my interview with Liam Bridcut uh, today and uh, one of Jacob Mellers from a couple of weeks ago um, said, you know, his training sessions, Brendan Rodgers' training sessions were absolutely amazing. And it made us want to keep learning and, and made us stay inquisitive. So I, I would advise young players in particular um, to just when a club comes in, there's all the resources now. There's the internet, there's, uh, you can speak to people, you can ring up and speak to people about different experiences. There's no excuse for players not to be fully aware. And I can understand the bright lights of, uh, of when a club comes in. I'm hoping myself to have that dilemma on the media side of a professional club in future. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much hoping so. Every interview brings me a little bit closer. I'm hoping to have that dilemma one day of, of who do you choose? But um, I don't know if, if we'll get to that point. I don't know if I'll be able to practice what I, what I preach, but I would say to the young players in particular, just take your time, just be aware. And the most important thing for young players is that they play. That's brilliant. Great advice there. I think uh, all all young players should definitely take that advice and, and choose wisely. Uh, timing is everything, as you said. So before we before we get out of here, I want to give you an opportunity to plug away anything you want to plug away. You've, you've had some fantastic interviews over the years. In particular, this last year, you've had a lot of big ones. Jamie Carragher, Kevin Campbell, Simon Barker, just to name a few. So feel free to plug anything you want at the moment, any interviews you've had. This is your floor right now. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, for listeners that don't know, you can follow me on at James Rowe and L and you can read my interviews on worldfootballindex.com. They publish my interviews every three days. And as Richard so rightly said, it's been an amazing time. Corona has been terrible throughout the world, but um, safety is the most important thing. But I can look back on a tremendous 66 interviews from the middle of March, Richard, including, as you say, wow. the likes of... Uh, the likes of uh, Jamie Carragher, Simon Barker, and um, 
and Kevin Campbell, obviously being an Arsenal supporter and an Arsenal fan, when I get to speak to someone who has an Arsenal past, it always makes it extra special. But the most important thing is to be as professional as possible. And I'm, I'm really excited to tell listeners that in the month of July in particular, I will be releasing my interviews with former Everton player Kevin Ratcliffe, wow. uh, Rule Fox, who, Fox, who played for Tottenham and West Bromwich Albion, um, Jeff Thomas, uh, who Crystal Palace fans might know, he's a, a real Crystal Palace legend, and also very interested to speak about the MLS interviews I did with um, Kenneth Vermeer of LAFC. Uh, that one will be released in July, and also um, Alexander Butner of New England Revolution, although that one will be released a little bit later. But it's also been fantastic to dip my toe into the pool of the USL and speak to the likes of um, Brian Wright at Birmingham Legion. And um, and Daniel Bruce at New Mexico United, and it's really interesting as being the country that you're based in to hear about that level, to hear about what goes on behind the scenes, to hear about when they play the Open Cup, for example, and the opportunity for them to yeah. go through the qualifying rounds and play a Minnesota United away from home and, and things like that. So uh, I always say the next interview is always the most important one. And uh, the bigger picture is to hopefully one day work full time on the media side of a professional football club. I'm, I'm doing OK and uh, the <laughs> reputation is growing well, but I uh, just have to stay grounded and uh, know that, that each interview is, um, is is so important and you have to always concentrate fully. Like today, I spoke to uh, Tom McCready of Colwyn Bay and um, obviously it's not the biggest level in the world. And he said to me, he said, James, he said, you've spoken to the likes of Jamie Carragher, Scott Minto, Simon Barker. He said, you, now you're speaking to me. I said, yeah. I said, um, I said, first and foremost, everyone's got a story to sell. I said, then um, I look at it, every interview that I publish brings me closer towards my goal. I said, then I can promise you as well that the same effort and the same attitude goes into this interview as goes into Simon Barker, Jamie Carragher. Kevin Campbell you know you, you have to remember at all times you're dealing with professionals and you're dealing with professionals who have had many have been on a on a big journey right. and the most important thing is to write that up to the best of your ability so that when somebody finish read, finishes reading that piece they know just that little bit more than before and um, yeah helps my reputation to grow and um, fingers crossed I will continue to do so in future. That's brilliant. I, I'm excited to see some of these uh, interviews got coming around the corner, especially those uh, smaller U.S. clubs that you know not many of us many of us know about, but don't don't get to hear about. So uh, I'm I'm exa- I'm really excited about this. Uh, I know it's late where you are in, in the Netherlands, uh, so we're gonna wrap this one up. Thank you so much uh, for coming on, and uh, you know again, Nostradamus, man. What can I say? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's all, it's great to speak. I enjoyed. Like, I, we've spoken a couple of times, a couple of times, and you did some tremendous work as well. And uh, I look forward to speaking again in future. Thank you, uh, James Rowe from New- World Football Index, amongst others. Have a good evening, sir. Thank you very much. Same to you. And with all that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. All recaps all the time, baby. That's what we did this week. I mean, you had to pound out 14 games. So um, shameless plug time, Richard. Shameless plug. Yeah, uh, I want to thank, uh, obviously, James Rowe for coming on uh, to do the interview with me. You'll hear that on the podcast when we release that. Um, great interview. We talked about, you know, the Netherlands. We talked about 
him being the only person to pick the lick to come to Juventus and the rest of the world was saying he was going to either one of the big Spanish clubs or, or England. Um, we got it on record on Syria sit down from, you know, in the summertime. So uh, kudos to him. And we talked about some players that potentially could come to Syria, a lot of youngsters. And, uh, and we visited an old friend, Ricardo Rodriguez, uh, who's now at PSV. So uh, shout out to James Rowe. Give him a follow. He's part of the World Football Index as well. Does fantastic interviews recently did with uh, Jamie Carragher, Kevin Campbell, and uh, some others. So uh, uh, definitely shout out to him. And then, you know, you can follow me anywhere really at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Awesome. I'm at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Serie uh, sit down. You can go to at Serie sit down on Twitter. Follow us there. Follow us on Instagram at Serie sit down. Check out our Facebook page, Serie sit down. Serie sit down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. We are on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. Just about anywhere you can hear a podcast, you're going to find Serie sit down. Uh, so check us out on all of those. The YouTube page of which, if, if you're watching us, we want to thank you for watching us. Uh, but check us out there. Um, check out the video. Subscribe. Drop a like. Uh, just recently, we did do a, a snippet from last week's recording talking about Juventus, talking about the concern uh, with the lack of finishing, with the lack of production and attack. They did get two against Bologna, so maybe they're on the right track now. We'll see. Um, but who knows? You never know from week to week. Um, www.worldfootballi.com, I believe, is the uh, website for World Football Index. Uh, is that right, Richard? I think it's just worldfootballindex.com. Okay. On, on Twitter, is definitely World Football I. I mean, just content from around the world. Uh, anything, any league you want to listen to, listen to a podcast on, want to have covered, they've got it. So, uh, so do check that website out and uh, check everything out at Richard's. As if, as Richard said once before, if you don't like City, ah, there's plenty <laughs> of other there's there's plenty of other stuff being covered on World Football Index. That's right. That's right. I don't know why you would say that on the City ah pod? I still am scratching my head to this day. It's now you know what we on this podcast now. It's been two years, and I'm not let, still not letting it go. Don't forget. <laughs> People don't forget. <laughs> so. <laughs> So anyway, I want to thank you all for uh, checking us out here on YouTube. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. Uh, but until then, keep telling your paisans about us. Ciao.